0: To yesterday today bringing you the best of yesterday's radio today i'm jake westbrook and with me is the immutable mclean westbrook immutable
1: what's that supposed to mean
0: it's uh, uh unchangeable fixed you know set rigid inflexible um, i know what yeah. it means just what makes you think i'm all those things well i ran out of ways to introduce you like a month into doing this show so you know lately i just pick a new word out of the dictionary each week and i just i call you that
1: I'm not sure how I feel about my introduction being reduced to a vocabulary word of the week.
0: Ah, you're against the idea, then.
1: I am against it,
0: yeah. Mm. And do you think maybe you might change your mind on the subject? I don't see how. It's it's disrespectful. Mm. So you're saying that you've made up your mind, and you aren't going to go back on it. Absolutely. That's rather immutable of you. Hey... Right. Well, before we get into the show today, actually, I have a little bit of a plug to put in for myself. I, I've written a book. And that's right. An actual a book with words and pages and everything. It's a uh, fun little detective story, which ties into our theme today, which is private detectives. But uh, if you're interested in reading that, it's called A Case in Oak Haven. There, there should be a link. I'm going to put the links wherever the descriptions to this show are. You can uh, buy it on Amazon. I believe it's uh, ninety nine cents for the Kindle version, and then maybe like four ninety nine for the paperback. I believe. So I hope hope you guys like that. It was a, it was a fun little project to do. It's uh, yeah. I think if you like this show, you might you might like that book, but. Back to the subject at hand, detectives, that's the theme of the show today, you know, the old, the noir heroes of radio's golden age, the, the crime fighters who carry the bottle of bourbon instead of a badge, the gum shoes, the fedorid flatfoots, fedorid? Fedorid, I don't think that's a very good adjective, fedorid.
2: Oh, oh, make way, make way, make way. Very important detective work going on. Very important things going on here. Mondo is on the case. Mondo is hunting down the clues. Mondo is, is sniffing out the criminals. S- s-
0: slow down, Mondo, slow down. Uh, sorry, folks, this is our this is our security guard, Mondo. Um, what are, you, what are you talking about, Mondo? Are you trying to tell us that you're a detective? Because if so, that ties in remarkably well with our theme. So it just seems like a bit of a coincidence.
2: Oh, well, can we or not, yes, me is indeed a detective, that is a hard word to say, detective, and me has been hired to investigate a certain party by another certain party who, who will forever remain a secret.
0: Why are you so animated about it? Calm, calm down a little bit. Who Who hired you to
2: investigate who? Well, due to detective client privilege, me is absolutely, positively, a hundred percent unable to divulge this information to you. Well, we wouldn't tell anyone. Oh. Well, in that case, we will divulge away. Yeah, so the producer, he, he hired me, since, you know, me has experience as a security guard. So me is investigating Sidimi to learn all about his sordid past after, because, you know, Sid and me, he, he's engaged to the producer's daughter, and so me is, me is looking into his past.
1: You know, normally I would say that someone hiring a private investigator... Or a reasonable facsimile of a private investigator to snoop on their daughter's fiance would be deranged, but this is probably one of the most rational and healthy ways the producer has dealt with Sidney's relationship with his daughter. Oh, yeah, definitely crazy, but not homicidal, so, you know, he's got that going for him at least.
2: Oh no. No, no, no. There's nothing crazy or humidified, hum- humidified about it. It is uh, completely rational to hire a detective to investigate important individuals, and there's nothing crazy and there's nothing weird about it, so...
3: Hey guys, uh, if you need me, I have to go run a few errands. <laughs> Some janitor I am, I ran out of crazy glue. <laughs> me. Well anyway, off to the store.
2: Huh. Oh, me have to go jump into his trunk. Uh, 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 y- you never saw me. He was never here.
1: <laughs> Nothing crazy about that.
0: Well, as Mondo continues the proud tradition of private detectives, uh, next up on the show is an episode of Burns and Allen. If you're wondering why we're playing an episode of Burns and Allen for the private detective show, well, so the other day I was at a bookstore and I saw a, uh, a Philo Vance novel one of the detective heroes of the 1920s, 1930s. But this book stuck out to me in particular because it was titled The Gracie Allen Murder Case. It was apparently this fun little thing where, for whatever reason, the author, S.S. Van Dyne, worked Burns and Allen into the into the detective story. It's a fun little crossover, but it, it jogged something in my memory. I remember hearing this episode of Burns and Allen a long, long time ago where they, they, uh, they get a crossover with Sam Spade, radio's famous private eye. So that's what we're playing for you right now.
4: Many people say that Gracie is responsible for George being where he is today, and that's certainly true. Gracie is also responsible for Sam Spade being where he is today. You see, George and Sam Spade are both in jail.
5: How did it happen?
4: Well, let's listen as George is being questioned by a police lieutenant.
6: All right, let's start at the top.
4: Name? George Burns. Occupation?
6: I'm married to Gracie Allen. (laughs) No, 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 no. What do you do? What keeps you busy? I'm married to Gracie Allen. (laughs) Let me put it this way. What's your source of income? I'm married to Gracie Allen. (laughs) All right, skip it. What's your age? Approximately 42. How come you look older? I'm married to Gracie Allen.
5: (laughs) What's your address?
6: 360 North Camden. All right, Burns, now suppose you tell me why you're in this jam. I'm married to Gracie Allen. (laughs) You're in a rut. Hey, Spade, how come you're in this jam? He's married to Gracie Allen. You know, Burns, you and this Spade character are accused of murder. Now, suppose you tell me the whole story right from the start. Okay, Lieutenant. It all started last Sunday night. I was sitting home listening to the radio with my wife. I'm married sir to Gracie, Gracie Allen. Allen. Yes, that part I know. Take it from there. Well, Gracie and I were listening to The Adventures of Sam Spade. The, pro- the program was just finished.
5: All right, Duncan,
4: let's take a little ride down to headquarters.
5: Me, sir? But I wouldn't murder Mr. Benson. I've been his butler for 20 years.
4: Don't play innocent. I know you pulled this caper, and I've got enough evidence to put you right in the hot seat.
5: But, Mr. Spade, I didn't do it.
4: Say that malarkey for the warden. You were clever, Jenkins, but not clever enough. I think I'll call this the careless butler caper.
7: Why did you turn off the radio, Gracie? Sam Spade got the wrong man tonight. What? I'm positive that Jenkins the butler wasn't guilty. An innocent man is going to get the hot plate.
6: (laughs) Hot seat. And don't worry. He'll only get it on the radio.
7: Well, who cares where they put it? When he sits down, it'll burn. (laughs) Oh, I've got to talk to Sam Spade right away. Honey, Sam Spade is not a real detective. I'll say he isn't. Any man who'd make an innocent butler sit on the hot plate...
6: Gracie... He'll get a hot seat.
7: Oh, he sure will after he sits in that hot place. <laughs>
6: Look, here's what I mean. On his program, Sam Spade is a private detective, but in real life, he's just an ordinary guy. Just like on your program, you're a nitwit, but in real life,
5: <laughs> that won't work. <laughs>
6: Anyway, Gracie, what you just heard was only a radio program.
7: I know that. The real crime happened last week. Every Sunday night, Sam Spade broadcasts his most thrilling case of the week. You still don't understand. Sam Spade is just a character. I'll say he's a character. Making that poor, innocent butler sit in a hot place.
6: Hot seat. Let me try to explain this once more. Sam Spade isn't even the fellow's real name. He's the brainchild of Dashiell Hammett.
7: Oh, Oh, you mean his real name is Sam Hammett. No,
6: his real name is Howard Duff.
7: Then why is it... Uh, why isn't his father's name Dashiell Duff?
6: <laughs> Look, Sam Spade doesn't have any actual father or mother. He came from Dashiell Hammett's typewriter.
7: Oh, George, you're so innocent. <laughs> you believe that old story about coming from under cabbage leaves, too. (laughs) What's the use?
6: Okay, Sam Spade is a naughty detective, and he's sending an innocent butler to the hot
8: plate.
7: Hot (laughs) seat. Good night, dear. Good night.
6: Well, Lieutenant, I didn't think any more about it. I was tired. It was past my bedtime. What time was it? It was after nine. (laughs)
5: She.
6: <laughs> so I went to bed thinking Gracie would follow me. Instead, she
4: followed Sam Spade. Oh, well, what do you mean? Uh, let me tell you about that part of it, Lieutenant. Uh, okay, Spade. Well, I'd uh, finished my regular Sunday night show at the broadcasting studio. After which the actors lingered on for a little bull session. You know, who stepped on whose lines? I want a bigger part next week, and so forth. So, uh, it's about ten when I step out into the California night air, which is also about ten. But uh, there's no snow, so I decide to walk home. I haven't taken two steps when this little lady grabs me by the sleeve and says...
7: Are you Sam Spade?
4: Well, if I had known then what I know now, I would have thrown myself under the wheels of a passing sunset
5: bus. (laughs) But
4: I'm a ham and I figure she's maybe a fan, so I answer in my best Pasadena Playhouse voice. Why, yes, I'm Sam Spade.
7: The butler didn't do it. Huh? You've got the wrong man. The butler didn't jerk that kipper.
5: Jerk that kipper?
7: Yank that copper? You mean pull that caper? That's it, (laughs) yes You sent an innocent man to jail
4: No, I didn't
7: Yes, you did
4: Lady, I think you're a little mixed up about me I'm just an actor on CBS
7: That's what everybody (laughs) says
4: Look, uh, little lady, I'm tired It's been a tough day I'll uh, see you around, huh?
7: Now, just a minute, Sam Spade I heard you arrest that butler Now, you've got to let him go free
4: You uh, wouldn't give me a rib, would you?
7: Anything to free that butler. Which rib do you want? (laughs) I'll
4: tell you what. Why don't you write me a letter? With a dull pencil. Don't use anything sharp.
7: Mm -hmm. I'll do better than that. I'll come to your office. Where is it? I haven't got an office. Oh, plain cagey, huh? All right. I'll come to your house. Where's that?
4: Uh, Three, two, one. Oh, no. I'm not talking. I want to get some sleep tonight. So long.
7: So long.
5: are you following me? What do you want?
7: Got a cigarette?
5: Sure.
4: Here you are. Thanks. Got a match? Sure. Want me to light it for you?
7: No, thanks. I don't smoke.
5: <laughs>
7: then why
4: did you ask me for a cigarette?
7: Well, I thought I'd better have it in case somebody asked me for one.
4: <laughs> I see.
7: Would you like a cigarette? No, thanks. Well, good night.
4: Good night. Okay, okay. Now what?
7: Got the time?
4: Yeah, it's exactly, uh, 10, 10. Thanks, thanks. No, I meant it's 10 minutes after 10.
7: You're wrong. My watch says 15 after 10.
4: You've got a watch? Sure. Then why did you ask me the time?
7: Want a cigarette?
5: <laughs>
4: no.
7: Well, good night.
4: Good night. <laughs> Look, lady, stop following me. Oh! Yeah, fancy meeting me here Can I uh, give you the slip?
7: Please I couldn't accept a thing like that from a strange man
4: All right, what do you want this time?
7: Got a road map
4: A road map Are you lost? No May I make a suggestion? What? Get lost
7: Well, good night
4: Good night Well, I've had enough of this, little lady. You've seen the end of me.
7: Yeah, for two blocks.
5: <laughs>
4: this time I'll lose you. Hey, uh, taxi, taxi. Let's get out of here, cabby, but fast. Here's my house, cabby. Pull up. That was real driving, buddy. Keep the change. Good night. No! How did you get here?
5: On
7: the back of that cab.
4: (laughs) Who are you, anyway?
7: Oh, no, no, I'm too smart to tell you who I am. If I did, you'd complain to my husband, George Burns.
4: Oh, so you're Gracie Allen.
7: How did you find out?
4: you forget I'm a detective. Oh. And now I know what the National Safety Council means when they say, don't be a Gracie.
7: Oh, never mind that. Are you going to let the butler go?
4: Look, Gracie, there's really no butler in prison, and I'm not really Sam Spade.
7: Oh, now, don't give me that story about your mother being a typewriter. (laughs)
5: What? (laughs)
7: You're not talking to a child. I'm older than I look.
4: Okay, Gracie, I see there's no use arguing with a smart girl like you. I'll see that the butler gets out. I'll get him the best mouthpiece in town.
7: Get him out first. Fix his teeth later. (laughs)
4: Okay, okay. Good night. (laughs) Good night. Lieutenant, I thought that that would be the end of the episode, but it wasn't, huh? Brother, you haven't heard anything yet.
6: The next. Morning... Uh, wait a minute, Mr. Burns. Before I listen to any more of this story, I'll have to send out for some aspirin. Yeah, have some of mine. Hey, how come you walk around with your pockets full of aspirin? I'm married to Gracie Allen. <laughs>
4: And now, back to the city jail, where George and Sam Spade are trying to explain how Gracie put them there.
8: Let's see if I've got
6: this straight so far, Burns. Your wife listened to Sam Spade's program, thought he was really sending an innocent butler to the chair, and started hounding him. That's right, Lieutenant. What did you think, Spade?
4: I uh, didn't know what to think, Lieutenant. The surveys tell me I have ten million odd listeners, but I didn't think any of them were that odd.
5: Uh. (laughs)
4: Well, anyway, to get rid of her, you told
6: her that you'd free the butler.
4: Yeah, but that didn't satisfy Gracie. She demanded to see the guy.
6: That's when Spade came to me for help. He asked me to make Gracie leave him alone. Now, what'd you say? I told him to ask me something easy. Like getting Westbrook Pegler to dance with Eleanor Roosevelt. (laughs) (laughs) Mr. Burns, why do you put up with a wife like that? I'm too old to go back
4: to Gus Edwards.
5: (laughs)
6: Besides which, I happen to love
8: her. Well, uh, so what did you two decide to do?
4: Well, there was only one thing we could do. That was dig up the actor who played the butler in my program and let Gracie see him. Which we did. Yeah, and that's when we really got into trouble.
6: Now, tell me just what happened. Okay. Spade was giving the guy his final instruction.
4: Oh, uh, remember, Claude, you're Jenkins the butler, and I have set you free.
9: Don't worry, I'll have Mrs. Burns crying like a baby. Mm. In radio, they don't call me the male Ma Perkins for nothing. <laughs>
5: Oh, come on, Gracie's
9: in the next
6: room. Honey, here's Sam Spade. Yes,
4: Miss Spars, and I've freed the
5: butler. Here he is. Uh, How do you do, madam?
7: It is the butler. I recognize that voice. Oh, I'm so happy for you, Jenkins. What will you do now that you're free?
9: I shall return to the home of my youth.
7: Where does your youth live?
9: (laughs) I had reference to my birthplace, madam. Dear old England. I shall go back there to regain my health. Really? Yes, America is nice, but I'll take Liverpool.
7: Well, you don't have to go to England for Liverpools. They're made right here.
6: (laughs) Oh, yes, that's Carter's
4: little Liverpools. I take them.
9: (laughs) Liverpool is the name of a city.
4: Yes. Now, uh, thank Mrs. Burns for getting out of jail and then screw,
9: uh, disappear. (laughs) Uh, Madam, your beneficent intervention has terminated a most injurious and humiliating incarceration. You'll never know what that means.
7: Well, I won't unless you shorten the word. (laughs)
6: Goodbye, Jenkins Uh, Farewell, all I go
8: to a new and better life
7: Goodbye Write me from Kidney Creek (laughs) Liverpool Well, I was in the right neighborhood (laughs) (laughs)
4: Goodbye Well, that uh, takes care of that, eh, George? You said it I'll be running along, too Uh, Goodbye, Gracie Uh,
7: Just a minute Now, look If the butler didn't murder Mr. Benson Who did? Huh? You proved that his wife and daughter didn't do it, and there was only one other person on the scene. So he must be the murderer. Who? You. (laughs) Me? Confess them, Spade. You murdered Mr. Benson.
4: But I had no motive.
7: Then you did it with something else. (laughs)
6: Look, Gracie, we... me
7: my lipstick, George. I'm going to give him the third degree. (laughs) Lipstick? Well, I want to look nice when he shines that bright light in my face.
6: You're supposed to shine it in his face
7: Oh, oh well, then give him the lipstick
4: (laughs) I'm getting out of this madhouse Goodbye
6: Well, Lieutenant Spade ran out of that house like Like after Like he was seeing a ghost Which was true because from then on, Gracie started haunting him Trying to make him confess.
4: Yeah, she uh, found out that my radio sponsor was Wild Cream Oil, so she disguised herself with a big hat and a veil and knocked at my door.
7: Sam Fate? Yes. How do you do? My name is Wild Root. Wild Perhaps you know my husband, Willie Cream Oil. My full name is Mrs. Wild Root Cream Oil. I'm the wife of your sponsor.
5: Now, look.
7: I understand you murdered a Mr. Benson... Now, that's strictly forbidden in your contract.
4: Mrs. Cream Oil, you look like Gracie Allen to me.
7: Flattery will get you no place. <laughs> now, if, um, if you'd like to confess, perhaps we can get you off with life imprisonment. And when you come out, you can take over your program
5: again.
4: Gracie, I did not murder Mr. Benson. Go away. But the next day, she was back. This time with another disguise.
7: Sam Faith? Yes. I'm from Western Union. I have a telegram here from President Truman. What? I'll read it to you. Dear Sam, confess. Signed Harry.
5: <laughs> Any
7: answer?
4: Scram. Beat it. Go away.
7: That's no way to talk to the president.
4: Ouch! Ouch! <laughs> but the third day topped everything. She posed as a private detective.
7: Sam Faith? Yes. I'm Sally Shovel. <laughs> now listen, chum. We're in the same racket, pal, and I want to help you, buddy. So why don't you confess, Matt?
4: You're a private
7: eye. Also ear, nose, and throat. <laughs> I, um, I put everything into my work. Now uh, confess, job. So you murdered Benson. So what? I've been mixed up with a few keepers, uh, or is the capers?
4: In your case, it's keepers. Now go away. <laughs>
6: Well, Lieutenant, that's when Spade came to see me again,
4: looking much older. Yeah, we uh, hit on a brilliant scheme. We decided that I should confess the murder, then George would pretend to take me to the city hall to surrender, and Gracie would forget the whole thing. But Gracie did something we didn't count on. Nor was that? While I was going to pick up Spade, she
6: called the police. Oh, yes, that's where I come into the picture. She called me. I suppose you tell us what happened then. Well, when I got to the house...
7: There's a desperate criminal on his way here to confess a murder. As soon as he confesses, you can grab him.
6: Don't worry, lady, I'll... Oh, that must be him. Yeah, you wait in the next room. He may be armed.
7: Oh, he is. There's one hanging from each shoulder.
5: (laughs) You call me if you
7: need. Oh, hello. Where is everybody? Never mind.
8: What's your name? Bill Goodwin. What did you do with the body? (laughs) I took her home.
5: (laughs) What did you do
8: then? I dumped her out. Oh, she was dead, huh? Well, sure, that's why I took her home.
5: <laughs> You've
8: done a pretty terrible thing, young man. Ah, tomorrow I'll send her some flowers. Oh, you're a real killer. Oh, sure.
5: Now <laughs> tell me everything
8: you did tonight. I will not.
5: <laughs> Who are you, her
8: father? No! Well, in that case, I'll tell you that. Another fellow and I double dated. We met the girls, and the four of us went into a restaurant for dinner. I ordered four cups of Maxwell House coffee. Then what? Well, I told the waiter to bring the other people some, too. See, I wanted them to taste the rich, mellow goodness of Maxwell House. It's America's favorite coffee, you know. Yes, I know. What happened then? Well, that's when the girl and I got into a fight. Aha! What about? She caught me drinking her Maxwell House coffee. (laughs) But you would had four cups. Well, when you taste that good to the last drop flavor, you just don't know when to stop. You know, Maxwell House is a blend of the finest Latin American coffees. Radiant roasted to the peak of flavor perfection.
7: Well, officer, did he confess the mer... Ma- Bill Goodwin.
8: He confessed everything, Mrs. Burns. He got mixed up with a girl, and now he's headed for the chair. You're nuts. When I get mixed up with a girl, I head for the divan.
5: <laughs> I mean the electric
8: chair. You killed a girl. Are you kidding? All I killed was five cups of Maxwell House coffee.
7: Yes, officer, this is the wrong man. Sam Spade is the one you want to arrest.
8: Sam Spade is in trouble. Oh, gee, I was going to hire him to find someone for me. Who? Girl about five feet two, red hair, green eyes, terrific figure, drives a Cadillac convertible.
7: Oh, when did you last see her?
8: Who's seen her? I want Spade to find me one like that.
7: (laughs) Not so long. Well, there won't be any mistake this time, officer. In comes my husband up the walk with the real murderer.
8: Yeah, anyone can tell that guy's a criminal. Look at that low
6: forehead.
7: That's my husband. Oh. <laughs> well,
6: this time I want to hear the confession before I make the pinch. I'll just duck into this closet.
7: Oh, poor Mrs. Bates. I hate to think of him sitting in the electric chair. With those long legs, he will be so uncomfortable. <laughs>
4: Well, here he is, Gracie, ready to confess. Yes, I can hide the truth no longer. I killed Benson.
7: Why did you do it, Mr. Spade?
4: That man murdered my mother, ruined my father, tortured my sister, and robbed my brother.
7: Oh, then it was nothing personal. No,
4: I just didn't like him.
7: Oh, how, how did it happen?
4: Benson was standing in a bar, see? I walked up to him, let him have two slugs, and he fell to the floor.
7: Oh, couldn't hold his liquor, huh?
6: You <laughs> let him have two slugs from a pistol. Now, keep quiet and let the man confess.
7: Yes, dear.
4: I never gave him a chance, see? I shot him down in cold blood. As he lay on the floor, I pulled the trigger again and again and again. When the gun was empty, I stood over his body and laughed like the fiend that I am. (laughs) I should be locked up for 20 years, 30 years. I'll make that
8: 40. (laughs) Huh? Who are you? I'm Regan from Homicide.
7: I called him over to hear your confession.
6: Okay, come on, Spade. Officer, wait a minute. Let me explain. Mr. Spade and I cooked this whole thing up together. Oh, an accomplice. I'll take you along, long
7: time. <laughs> Wait a minute.
6: I've never done anything wrong in my life. Well, of
7: course not. He's my husband. The man who married me.
6: All right, so I did one thing wrong.
5: <laughs> come on, come
6: on, you two. Well, Lieutenant, that's the whole story. Oh, uh, my apologies, fellas. You're both free to go. Thanks. Come on, Sam. Let's get out of
4: here. You said it. Oh, by the way, Mr. Burns, your wife's waiting outside. Gracie? So long, George. I'm staying in jail.
7: <laughs> so long. Oh, hello, darling.
4: Hello, Gracie. Let's go home.
7: Oh, I can't, sweetheart. I've got something important to do. Hey,
6: you've got that big hat and that veil on again. Where are you going?
7: Well, while you were in jail, I heard Ellery Queen on the radio, and he arrested the wrong man. Oh, no. You're not going to start it. <laughs>
0: Welcome back to yesterday-today, uh, Mondo just returned to the studio looking very tired, very oh, worn out.
1: Oh, oh, Mondo, are you oh, okay? Oh,
2: oh, so, so me was me was following Sidney, like me I had been hired to do, and me was very covert about it. Very, very covert. Uh, and it was and everything. But boy, that was harder than me thought. Uh, so... Me cover in, in the the trunk of his car, it was almost blown. It was a tense situation. But, but so we had to we had to chase me had to chase the car around on foot. And there was there was a lot of obstacles. Uh, open manhole cover. Uh, there was a fruit stand we ran through. Just name a cliche, me me found it. Oh, let me tell you. Oh, Mondo, Oof. I'm
0: uh... oh. I'm sorry your investigation into Sydney's dark and mysterious past hasn't been more successful.
2: Uh, oh no! Oh no, no, no! To the contrary, me, little friend. Mia has been able to find out several of the key pieces of information that can explain much of Sydney's current state of being. <laughs> oh. Really? What did you find? Oh, 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 it's a juicy one. There's missed payments, there's false identities, backstabbed business partners, ex-lovers, even just the whole gamut of 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 seedy and unsightly uh, events in his past.
0: Whoa, 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 backstabbed partner, ex-lovers. How did you find
2: all this out about Sydney? <laughs> well, well, honestly, me, me made most of it up. Actually, all of it. But me is hoping to find evidence to support it later. That doesn't sound very Sam Spade of you. Well, private detecting is harder than me taught. honestly. So, you know, gotta cut a few corners here
0: and there. Uh, yeah, fair enough, but I, I would recommend, Mono, that you don't jump to conclusions first. And and you should, you should find evidence to begin with before you... You draw the result, you know what I mean? Oh, fine, if you want to do it the hard way. Well, as this investigation into Sydney's dark past continues, we're going to continue our show today with an episode of Philip Marlowe. I bring this up specifically because just recently a new Philip Marlowe movie was made, starring uh, Liam Neeson as Philip Marlowe. Interesting casting choice. I haven't seen the film myself, so I can't vouch for the quality. I'm just always tickled when... When an old property is brought back up into the into the current culture, although the current culture usually messes it up somehow, so I don't know. And and Liam Neeson as Philip Marlowe, I thought was just an odd casting choice. I, I don't know. I I do want to see the film though. I might I might review it sometime on here. Uh, but in the meantime, yes, Philip Marlowe, the classic detective from the mind of Raymond Chandler. So here it is. Oh, you know what the problem was?
2: He wasn't wearing a Sherlock Holmes hat and smoking a pipe. Oh, what was me thinking? Yeah, well, that's like cliche 101, Mondo. You gotta get on that. Oh, you was telling me.
0: You
10: know, every once in a while, into the life of one Philip Marlowe, a little peace and quiet must fall. A day marked by neither murder nor mayhem. No phone calls. Just nothing. I was just beginning to like it, too, when the door opened and a head full of slick orange hair walked in. It was on a man wearing a new flannel suit, a hand-painted tie, and a reckless grin. He shoved the telephone out of his way, sat down on the corner of my desk, and sized me up with a pair of careful gray eyes.
11: Got a proposition for you, laddie.
10: Tell me about it. Let you know if I'm interested. You should be. There's good money in it. It's not always the answer. Go ahead. You got a good car? Good enough. I don't keep it in the office. You like Mexico? Look, is this a social call or a quiz program?
11: Well, this is business. I asked you a question.
10: Yeah, I like Mexico. I don't like you.
11: Oh, that's good because you're going to drive a couple of friends of me down there. Uh, name your price.
10: Not interested.
11: A thousand bucks.
10: Not interested. That's too bad.
11: Would have been nicer to work this out without a gun. Now, listen, you're too big, jerk. Easy, laddie. This gun is bigger than both of us. Are you going to drive across the Mexican border tonight with three passengers? and it won't be any difficult questions because you are the well-known Senor Philip Marlowe, a respectable private detective. Somewhere below the border, your fellow travelers will catch a boat. But this you don't have to worry about. Now, look, just a minute. Look, I... laddie, I came to you for several reasons, one of which is that you're smart enough to know when to quit fighting the problem. We got to make a stop first, so let's go. Uh, and leave your artillery in the drawer. Come on.
10: Yeah, Sure. Since I'm now an old pal of yours, what do I call you? You pick it. Believe me, you won't like it.
11: Um, how about George? You like George? Not particularly. Good. Just call me George. Let's go, Marlo.
10: We nodded at the elevator girl, waved goodbye to the kid in the parking lot, and headed south on Highway 101. All with the front of that Mauser nudging my kidney.
11: It was screwy, but I
10: was on my way to Mexico.
11: Uh, Don't get ambitious, Marlowe. Not too fast, not too slow. Just keep it rolling nice and steady.
10: I did what I was told and watched for a break. For every foot of a hundred miles down the coast. At Oceanside, we cut inland past Escondido and up into the Citrus Country. Once he dug a little map from his pocket and studied it while we headed into the hills where farms were farther apart. George was busy looking for a turnoff when my chance came, and it came fast. My foot slammed down. Hard on the of George's head. The windshield. The gun slipped out of his hand. I dropped two wheels in the ditch, but I got the gun. He took one look, then jumped out and ran in a low crouch from the back of the car. Before I could follow him, I heard the truck coming. It was a big two-section job rolling fast. It topped the rise just as George pivoted toward the road. The truck driver must have seen him just as the air brake locked on all 26 wheels. At the same to where George lay like a discarded doll at the side of the road. The truck driver was out of his cab before it stopped rolling.
9: I didn't see him. I didn't see him. I come over the rise there. I, I didn't see him. Take it easy. Honest, I didn't see him. Is he all right? Oh. He ain't dead, is he?
10: No, no, he isn't. He won't be walking much anymore. No,
12: it wasn't my fault, Mr. Honest. I know
10: it wasn't. Get hold of yourself.
12: Uh,
9: gosh, what should we do?
10: I want you to drive to the nearest phone and get the police then come back. Here's my card. Give it to the trooper. Oh. Tell them they can reach me at my office Yeah,
9: what are you going to do? If
11: i
10: can oh. figure out how to read this map of his I'm going to pay a call on a couple of people who are expecting this oh. guy oh. Maybe it's just a stubborn streak But when I'm being used as a patsy I like to meet the people involved oh. As I drove, I studied the map And two miles down the highway I found the first landmark A dead tree There I left the highway and followed a rocky trail seven corkscrew miles up a canyon to the next landmark, a bridge. Wasn't it looked like it had been lifted out of some rustic Connecticut woods and dropped across the California Gorge purely by mistake? Because it was covered complete to roof and walls and made entirely of lumber. And on the hill beyond was a lonely house where the trail marked on the map ended. I drove slowly through the sagging wood tunnel and at the other end deliberately killed my motor. I got out, raised the hood, and went to work on the distributor. I don't know where he came from, but when I glanced up, he was standing there watching me. A bull in overalls with a pitchfork clenched in a pair of hands as thick as $4 steaks. We didn't like each other's looks.
13: You picked a bad place for trouble, mister. That's so? Why? Nobody almost never comes up this road, especially strangers. How come you took it? You really
10: want to know you're just killing time?
13: I wouldn't be too smart if I was you mister. Uh,
10: you live in that house up there?
13: No, not anymore. I got canned for drinking. Well, why are you so interested in that place?
10: The only farm around here maybe they got a mechanic.
13: Yeah, maybe. Where'd you say you were from? LA ah, Los Angeles huh? You real sure you don't know anybody up there on the hill?
10: like who for instance?
13: a certain party who took a trip to l.a. not so long ago and another thing city boy don't get out of line or i'll fix you good understand
10: I mean, how do you do?
12: (laughs) You want something? Uh,
10: Yes, my car stalled at the bottom of the hill. Dolly!
14: Dolly, who is it? Who's there?
12: Uh, A man, Uncle Walter. He says his car broke down.
14: What's that? Your your car broke down, you say?
10: Yeah, I don't know what went wrong, Mr. uh... My name is Bull, Walter Bull. Oh, I'm glad to know you. I'm Philip Marlowe.
14: What are you doing on this road, Mr. Marlowe?
10: I thought it was a shortcut.
14: Did you? As you were wrong, it's a dead end. Oh. come inside.
10: Thanks. Look, Mr. Brule, I'd like to have somebody who knows motors come down and look at my car,
14: huh? Mm-hmm. All right, when Ed comes in, I guess he could go down with you. Oh, I... That's I, I, my new hired hand, Ed Fry. Oh.
12: I don't know, Uncle Walter. It's getting pretty dark.
10: Yeah, I was thinking the same thing myself. As a matter of fact, if you can accommodate me, Mr. Brule, I'd just as soon rest up a while and shove off in the morning. I want to pay you for everything, of course.
12: Stay overnight? Oh, I. Uh, I'm afraid that's impossible.
14: We. Impossible? Yeah. Why? What's the matter with you, Dolly? If necessary, I'm sure we can arrange to take care of Mr. Marlowe some way.
5: Well, okay.
14: Well, that's better. Now, if you want me, Dolly, I'll be out in the barn. Make yourself comfortable, Mr. Marlowe.
10: Your uncle, huh? He owns this place? That's
12: right. My mother was his favorite sister. You want a cup of coffee? Oh,
10: I'd love it. Haven't had any farm kitchen coffee in ages. You, uh, you don't seem to have any visitors up this way, Dolly, huh?
12: No, not many.
10: Nice farm, though. Stinks. Is that why you run off to L.A. now, and then?
12: How did you know about that?
10: I guess. I ran into a friend of yours at the bottom of the hill. A pair of overgrown shoulders with a pitchfork. Said he used to work here.
12: <laughs> Him. He did up until a month ago. That's Noah Bickman. Big, dumb goof. Here's your cup. Oh, thanks. By the way, Mr. Marlowe, where are you heading? Oh,
10: Mexico, Maybe. Mexico. Yeah.
12: You kind of came a long ways out of your way, didn't you? Did I? Dolly! Dolly! We're in here, Eddie. What's the matter?
9: A car at the bottom of the hill. Whose is it?
10: The car belongs to me. It's stalled. Uh, Who are you?
12: This is Mr. Marlowe, Eddie. He's uh, on his way to Mexico. Wow!
9: you don't say.
12: And since his car broke down so late, he may stay all night. Uncle Walter said it'd be all right.
9: Is that a fact?
12: I'll uh, go get some blankets, Eddie, so you can take them up to the spare room
9: for Mr. Marlowe. Okay, Dolly. Mr. Marlowe, huh? Where are you from, Mr. Marlowe? L.A. You? Uh, points East. Uh. You know, this road don't go to Mexico, Marlowe. In fact, it stops about a mile up the draw here. And it's funny that you wound up on it, isn't it?
10: I don't see you breaking up over it, Eddie.
9: Don't let my poker face throw you, pal. Traveling alone, are you?
10: I am now. Meaning what? That there's nobody with me.
9: That's simple, isn't it? Not in my book, pal. I might even want you to draw me a picture of that one.
12: Here's the blanket, Eddie. See?
9: Oh, okay, okay. It's fine. Come on upstairs, Marlo. I'll show you the room. You want me to go with you and make the bed? No, you stay here and put up some more coffee, Dolly.
12: All
9: right. Got a hunch I may want lots of it tonight. Let's go, Marlo.
10: Right behind you, Eddie.
9: How's the weather been in L.A.? Some might call it hot. Uh-huh. Get the door, will you? Sure. Okay, how come it's you, pal? I got good credentials, a car and a tight yap. You better be right on all three. How'd you find me?
10: Little map, Eddie. From Escondido to the dead tree to the covered bridge, and then up here at the cinch.
9: Why'd you show alone? Where's Red? Go to meet us at the border. It's a bum fit, pal. It's not in a book. Why? Ah, uh, yeah, some kind of a last-minute jam with a boat. Oh, that jerk. He's had a month to line this up while I've been holed up out here in the sticks, making like a farm hand. Well, better work, that's all. If we're picked up this time, it's curtains. Oh, uh, incidentally, you got a gun, haven't you? Yeah, sure. Let's
10: see it. Uh-uh. No dice, Eddie. Red didn't tell me everything, just enough. So? So you'll get your money's worth. I'll do what I'm supposed to do and no questions asked for my little automatic and I stick together regardless, real close, together. (laughs) Okay, Marlowe. Suit yourself. I will. And something else, the rest of the company is going along, is that all set? Well, we'll see about that when the time comes. You're not leaving any loose ends around, are you? It's not your worry,
9: pal. We'll get out of here around 11. Oh, and that routine about your car being stalled, it is a gag, I hope.
10: Oh, sure, it won't start. If anybody tries, but in ten seconds with a screwdriver, I can fix it.
9: (laughs) You're okay, Marlowe. Just keep
10: playing your game. Yeah, I will. Maybe then I'll find out what the score is after all.
9: Mm, You might at that. Come on, let's see. Dinner at the Brule farm was as
10: loaded with gay chatter as a bad case of lockjaw. And when it was over, the participants scattered like everybody else was contagious. I wound up alone in the dark spare room on the second floor, which had one advantage. Windows that viewed both the front and the rear. The moon was bright, so I didn't bother with the lamp. I listened to Dolly rattle dishes in the kitchen until that stopped, and then I watched old man Brule pace his front yard. Once Ed Fry went out and talked to him briefly and then headed for the front door again. For a long hour after that, the big house was silent until from somewhere out in the back, there was a soft metallic tapping. Eventually, I spotted a heavy figure outside tossing pebbles against a window pane downstairs. And he edged back through the shadows to the barn. A moment later, I saw the girl slip out a rear door and run across the backyard to join him. I went down the back stairs and out along the house to a hedge. I followed that until I was close enough it's to hear. It's true, him. I
13: tell you. He's an escaped convict, a killer. He's been hiding out here on your place.
12: I can't believe it. No, I just can't. Are you sure?
13: Of course I am. I read it by accident just tonight in an old newspaper from Denver. The whole story with pictures. There's no doubt about it. Ed Fry is really Eddie Fillmore. He's a murderer plenty of times over.
12: What? Well, what do we do? Should we call the police?
13: Ah, uh, no. Not on your life. Listen, you want to get off this farm, don't you?
12: More than anything in the world.
13: Okay. Then we'll do it together, Dolly. I didn't tell another soul about this. You know why? Because they put out a reward. A big one for him. $2,500. And we're going to get it. Just us, you and me. But
12: how, Noah? How can we... What's that? Did you hear that, Noah?
13: That's nothing, nothing. It's one of the cats, maybe. Look. You've been taking walks with him lately, Dolly. Well,
12: yes, I have, no, but... Well, never
13: mind that now. Just get him to take another one right away. Get him to walk you down to Pritchard's house. I'll be waiting there, and as soon as you get inside, I'll jump him. You'll never know what hit him. Will you do it?
12: Pritchard's house?
13: Yeah.
12: Well, I'll, I'll try. You, you give me some time to persuade him. Sure,
13: sure. Oh, I knew you'd see things my way, honey. No. Oh,
12: no
13: boy, no. With, with that reward money, there'll be no stopping us. You better go in now before they miss you. Okay. I'll get
12: him there just as
13: soon as I can. Hey, Bickman. What? Who's there? Marlowe. Listen, I got to talk you. You were here. here listening all the time, weren't you? Yeah,
10: and believe me, you're making a mistake. You're playing with dynamite, When You two and nuts to tackle that guy alone. He's too tough for you.
13: So you want to help so you can cut yourself in on the reward, that's all. Well, it ain't gonna work. Don't be a sap. He's covered himself. There's somebody else in with him. Somebody around here. He's got an
10: ally. You two try to grab him, and you're gonna be in trouble.
13: You're lying. He's been hiding out all alone, and we're gonna get him, Dolly and me, by ourselves. And if you try to horn in, Mr. So help me, I'll beat your brain. Cut it
10: out. Reward or no reward,
13: you gotta listen I to got me. I got to...
5: Nothing. Oh.
13: Maybe that'll teach you not to stick your nose in,
9: city boy.
10: I didn't pass out. My jaw hurt and my legs moved like they were rubber. Now I had to find the roving Walter Bruhl because he should know where Pritchard's house was, where the ambitious team of Dolly and Noah might be biting off a lot more than they could chew, healthy 4-H teeth notwithstanding. Mr. Bruhl! Mr. Bruhl! Yeah?
14: Hello? Who, who is it?
10: Marlow! Come here a minute, will you? It's important.
14: Yeah, it's important. All right, is it, Mr. Marlower? Ah! <sighs>
10: Hey, what's this? your friend Noah. We had a few words.
14: Noah Bickman? He was no friend of mine.
10: Yeah, he's no friend of mine either. Look, Brule, I'm going to have to trust you. I've got no choice. Bickman found out Ed Fry is really an undesirable named Eddie Fillmore who's wanted for the police by murder. Murder? And he wants to trap him for a $2,500 reward that's been posted and didn't want me in the way. No. Now look, I'm not a passing tourist with motor trouble, but a private detective. Tell me, who is Pritchard and where does he live?
14: Pritchard? Where does he live? Mr. Marlowe, somebody has been making a joke on you. Elihu, Pritchard died 20 years ago. He lived right in this house where I do today.
10: This is Pritchard's house here?
14: Oh, Pritchard's house? No, 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 that is down the road near your car. The covered bridge. That is Pritchard's house.
10: The bridge?
14: Ah, you see... And Pritchard was from New England, and he had a covered bridge on his farm there, so he wanted one here. He built it himself, day by day, a board here, a nail there. Oh, and and
10: since he spent so much time at it, people call the bridge his house, is that it?
14: Yeah, 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 exactly. But then why is
5: it important?
10: Because of a meeting, Mr. Brule, a get-together that I don't think is going to be on the quiet side. Let me borrow your flashlight, will you? Sure. Now get back inside and call the police. But
14: what are you going
10: to do? Reinforce the reward happy sweethearts and keep an eye out for someone I haven't met yet. A third party Eddie Fillmore plans to tour Mexico with. It was a quarter of a mile romp country-style back down to the covered bridge. When I was there, the Mauser i recovered from George in one hand, flashlight in the other, i found only the moonwashed, gray covered bridge itself, trying to stand erect like an old soldier who has more pride than posture. But then, as I stepped in the chalk road onto the sheltered oil soaked planking, I found something else. Inside and face down was Noah Bickman, and lying nearby, the red stained, icy fingers of the pitchfork that had killed him. I started to move closer. But then footsteps in the road behind suggested that I do different So I moved quickly back to the bridge entrance flattened myself into a narrow shadow and waited
12: Noah? Noah, is that you?
10: Marlowe, darling
12: What? Mr. Marlowe What are you doing here? Well, why are you down at the bridge at this hour? Where, where's Noah?
10: He's dead, darling He's, dead. He's in there, but don't go inside. Look, I tried to stop him, believe me.
12: Stop him? Stop him Don't
10: bother, baby. I know about Fry being Fillmore, the reward, all of it. What? How? Well, first of all, I'm a private detective from L.A. who was dragged into this by an ex-buddy of Fillmore's. Second, I was in the barn when you and Noah made your plans. When you left, I tried to talk Noah into accepting my help. Why? Because I know what Fillmore's kind is like. I mix with him every day. I know how they work. Look, did you tell Fillmore to meet you here, yes or no?
5: No.
12: No, I couldn't find him. I've been looking since I left the barn every place.
10: That's why you came down here just now? Yes.
12: I wanted to tell Noah that our plan would have to be postponed. But what difference does all this make? I
10: don't know. Maybe a little, maybe a lot. If Fillmore had known about this, this rendezvous you two planned, it'd be 20 to 1 that he got here ahead of schedule and took care of Noah. But...
12: Since he didn't.
10: Well, since he didn't, I'm betting on a third party. Someone we haven't met yet.
12: A third party?
10: Yeah, now listen to me and do just as I say. Turn around and walk straight back up to the house, and when you get there, get inside and stay put.
12: But, Marlowe, what if... Go
10: on, fast!
12: All right. But be careful, Marlowe. Whoever killed Noah won't hesitate to kill you, too.
10: When she started back up the road, I turned toward the bridge again. My flashlight following the dusty white footprints on the freshly oiled planking leading to the dead man. I stood over in the circle of light sweeping the area around him. There was just one thing I had to know.
14: Marlowe! Marlowe! It's me, Walter Bull. What are you doing down here? Well, I thought you might need help, so after I called the police, I got my rifle and came down here, and I...
10: Yeah, he's dead. The prongs on that fork went right through him. Oh, terrible! Yeah. Look, Brule, was this planking freshly oiled today?
14: Yeah, why? I just
10: wanted to make sure those chalk footprints were made today.
14: But what footprints? Brule,
10: you stay here and see that no one is the bridge.
14: But where are you going?
10: Up to your house in a hurry, because I think I know who the killer and the third party is. red legs and smog-fed lungs, I made it up to the house in record time. But as I reached for the front door, I knew that time hadn't been quite good enough. The shot had come from somewhere in the house, and by the time I reached the living room, I knew I was too late to do any good. In a chair at the far side of the room, Dolly was slouched down, a surprised expression on her face. While her hands tried to hold back a small stain of blood oozing through her blouse, little frightened words whispered out
9: of her mouth
12: shouldn't have done it, Eddie.
9: Stand where you are, Marlowe. She had it coming to her, the two-timing louse. Eddie.
12: Eddie, I'm trying to tell you. You don't understand. I understand I...
9: plenty, you no good little...
12: Eddie.
9: I was in the barn, heard the whole thing. You and that Pickman planning a switch with me out.
5: No. You're wrong, Eddie. Mom.
12: Tell it.
10: Dolly didn't try to double-cross you, Eddie. She only pretended to so she could set Noah Bickman up and kill him. That's what she did.
9: No, no you're a liar. True. That's what I tried to do, Eddie. I, I don't believe it. Dolly. Is that true, Marlowe? She didn't cross me. She was trying to help me.
10: That's right, Fillmore. Bickman found out who you were wanted the 2500 bucks you were worth dead or alive. Dolly had to play him along for your sake. I
9: should have listened to her. I should have listened. How do you know all this, Marlowe? I found Dolly's footprints inside the
10: covered bridge. Proof she'd been there before I found Bickman's body. Yeah.
9: And you know who I was, so you put it all together. Well, you're holding the gun, kid. What's the next move? Doesn't matter much anymore. I could still lamb out of here for Mexico. Somehow I don't want to. Not without Dolly. Phone the police, Marlowe. I'm not going anywhere. <laughs>
10: Several hours before the county police and Eddie Fillmore had gone, Ola Brule and I sat at the long wooden table, watching the light from the fire dance across the hanging skillets and pans by the grate, and nobody said anything for a long time.
14: I, I suppose, hot apple pie at four in the morning seems odd to a man from the city. Not at all.
10: Or in the morning, sometimes middle of the day in the city. Yeah.
14: Yeah. More coffee, Mr. Marlowe? Yeah, yeah, please. Thanks. You know, Dolly wasn't really a bad
9: girl. It was
14: just that sometimes she didn't think. A woman who loves like that doesn't think, Mr. Brule. I feel. Maybe in some way it, it is my fault, the whole thing. No, no.
10: It's nobody's fault, Mr. Brule. She was. She was trying to do the right thing for the guy she
14: loved. Yeah. Yeah. Well, your bed is still ready if, if you care to sleep. Oh, thanks. Sure, I'd like to. If, if you can find your own way up, uh, I think I'll sit here just a minute longer. Sure. night. Good night, Mr.
5: Marlowe. <laughs>
10: sat looking out over the starlit countryside, I thought of all the great love stories written about the good people who love, live, and suffer. And then the pathetic face of Dolly and the pain-wracked face of Eddie said, what about us? And I had no answer. Yeah, chalk up another one, Marlowe. Another one of those things for which there is no answer.
1: Welcome back to Yesterday Today. You've been listening to our tribute to old-time radio detectives, we're wrapping up the show as a. Uh, Mondo appears to be wrapping up his investigation into our janitor. Blah, 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 blah. Shut
2: up, shut up, shut up. This is important. Me has finally got the goods. Me has got the stuff. Um, c- calm down, Mondo. What, what, what are you trying to say about Sydney? Listen, me finally has the proof. Me set a bait trap for Sidney. Me did as you suggested, you know, me got to get the evidence first. So what me did was, me left a valuable item out in a very prominent location, and me hid in the shadows and watched. As Sidney, as he took it. He stole it. He pocketed it. Which proves unequivocally, without a doubt, that Sidney is a thief. Me work here is done. Me think we has done a pretty good job. Yeah, I mean, that seems rather circumstantial, Mondo. Exactly. And the circumstance is that Sidney is a thief. So there we go.
3: Oh, Mondo. There you are. Hey, I just came over. You you left this very valuable looking item in a prominent location earlier. <laughs> I guess you just kind of left it behind and forgot about it. So, anyway, I just thought I'd return that to you. Uh, yeah, it seems like I've been seeing a lot of you today, actually. I, I, I tried to say hi to you earlier when I saw you jumping out of the trunk of my car. Um, What were you doing in there, anyway?
2: Uh... Uh huh. Uh. 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 We uh, have a very important dentist appointment right now, so.
5: <laughs>
3: mm, okay, see you later.
5: Huh.
3: That was. strange? Um. Oh well. Anyway, I gotta get back to organizing my duct tape collection, so, uh. <laughs> see you guys around, I guess.
0: There goes the world's least subtle detective and the world's least suspecting janitor.
1: Yeah. Well, if you want more yesterday today, visit KISU.org or wherever you get your sneaky, nosy, privately investigated podcasts. <laughs>